Sonic State.com. Hello and welcome to the Sonic Talk podcast. We're talking today to Roger O'Donnell, who's a British keyboard player, who's been in several big bands. Um, he started out kind of his professional touring life with uh, the Thompson Twins, uh, where he was working with them live and did a lot of stadium tours and um, a lot of big gigs. Uh, he also played with Psychedelic Furs and more recently The Cure. He's just released a new album called The Truth In Me, which is recorded entirely on the Moog Voyager. He's actually uh, an endorsee of uh, Moog stuff and uh, clearly loves the Voyager. The whole thing is recorded monophonically uh, and layered up. He's also involved in the development of a new MIDI controller, which is the C3 Music Axis, which is a harmonic table controller, which has a series of buttons which are related to each other harmonically. So you can use it to create uh, interesting and unusual chords and note sequences. We spoke to him first about this. What was your involvement with uh, with um, C3 Music? Uh, a friend of mine who he's a funny he's a racing driver and now he's a helicopter instructor called uh, Hyla. It's his girlfriend and he we we sort of email now and again because we've got mutual interest and he said that his girlfriend was working on this really weird keyboard and would I be interested in hearing about it? And I said yeah, why not? And so I started emailing with Jacqueline who does the PR for it and. Um, she came over, she came to my flat in London and demoed it to me and gave me one to take home. Uh, this was a few months ago now, and I've been sort of trying to help them develop it, not in a, not in a technical way, but in getting musicians' feedback and, you know, getting, trying to get it more, music, more musical and get it into people's hands so that they can get feedback from people of what they want and how they think it's going to work. Oh, okay. So, I mean, how would you describe it? I mean, it's it's billed as a harmonic table, but that sort of doesn't necessarily mean much to a lot of people when it comes to keyboards. Uh, yeah, it's um, um, a friend of mine in New York who actually does artist relations for quite a few companies. You know, he handles endorsements uh, for companies, and he's actually going to be working with them on it. I put them in touch, and he described it as a, a keyboard, but as a typewriter. It, like, if you laid out uh, the keys like A B C D E F G in a line on a key on a typewriter they wouldn't be very usable because they're not close you know the letters that you use most of the time aren't close together and they right. don't make sense and this is kind of the same idea whereas the notes are arranged in harmonic series rather than just in note order like in chromatic order so that notes next to each other make sense harmonically so you can actually press three notes at the same time and you'll get a chord. Oh, I whereas see. On a, yeah, whereas on an ordinary keyboard, of course, you'll get a discord, <laughs> depending on what they are. That's you, sort of how it works. How do you find it, personally? I mean, have you been using it um, in any of your stuff? Um, no, I haven't. Because um, I had one of the early, early ones, it had a few problems which have now been fixed. Um, and I'd already finished my album by the time I got, got it. Although I probably will be using one live because I just like the randomness of it. Because coming at it from a keyboard player's point of view, it's like standing on your head because nothing makes sense. None of the you know, not C, D isn't after C, etc., etc. And so you're like, well, where is everything? And uh, so it sort of throws up new. Uh, harmonic possibilities and it like doesn't you don't sort of lean on your old go-to kind of favorite things right so mm -hmm. it's it's interesting that way is it based on the sort of 12 semitone kind of scale or does it get a bit more yeah. 
Uh, you can, well, you can. Pro I mean, like any MIDI controller, you could make it microtonal, but it is. It's based on like uh, a chromatic scale. Have you have you seen one? I've seen the look I of it. Yeah, website. yeah. I, I looked at it. I, I haven't actually physically clapped eyes or, or touched one. I mean, Dave, uh, like I say, Dave Spears has had a look, and he said he loves it because it's. He sort of quotes sort of lots of happy accidents that you can have while you're exactly. Using it. That's the thing. I've been using um, a, another controller recently called a Mono. Have you seen a that? Mono, yeah, that's got, that's got uh, a f several buttons. It's like a matrix, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a 64-button um, controller, which is completely open source. And I've been using it to, con to control their program called 64-Step. And it just allows you, you know, it is like happy accidents. If you, like, load in notes that are in the same key, and then you just start playing notes, you come up with melodies that you would never have thought of, unless you're insane, I I remember because uh, like drummers always used to rave about programming MIDI notes on drum pads or like octopads or what have you because you just get very unusual and rhythmical whatever riffs. So I suppose it's a similar sort of principle. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it sort of falls in between the traditional keyboard player and more of a programmer. I think those people will be more comfortable with it. Somebody like you know a real piano player is going to struggle with it. My website's RogerO'Donnell.com, and the album's called The Truth in Me, and I recorded it all on a on a Moog Voyager. That's a that's a very interesting concept. I mean, was there any kind of reason for that? Or did you just find yourself doing it, or was it uh, something that you wanted to do from the outset? A couple of years ago, when they were making the documentary about Bob Moog. I was still in The Cure and they, I was put in touch with the producer and the director of the film through Moog because I'd just got an endorsement deal with them. They wanted The Cure to do a song for the soundtrack and we were busy making an album at that stage. So I offered to make, to do a song and they, you know, they, they said, yeah, cool, that'd be interesting. So I sat down and I thought oh, it'd be really nice to try and write a song entirely using just the Voyager like I used to in, like before I had samplers and drum machines and, you know, just had synths and a port studio yeah and i thought oh, it'd be really cool to go back to um to sort of my roots and really explore and i'd only just got the voyager and i thought it'd be a really good way of exploring the instrument so i did a song for the soundtrack and i was really happy with the way it turned out and then a few months later the producer was telling me how much he liked the song and he thought that i should do an entire album um on the same principle and i thought well, that was quite an interesting idea, and then I then I started and it and it started working, and uh, I just I ended up with an album. Which uh, at the time, you know, I really don't like those things where you have rules like those dogma that sure. film thing, Lars von Trier, and I'm not really into rules and things. But it just ended up like I couldn't hear any other instruments in with it, so it, it was sort of self-confining well i mean I, I suppose that's the thing about moogs as well i mean they do have a very distinct sound sometimes and i don't know about yeah. you but when recording sometimes you kind of there's almost not room for one yeah exactly they um robert used to say that, that they're too it's kind of overwhelming there um and we were i've been in germany recording with mario tala the nose the producer of the no twister and those lally Puna and all those guys kind of electronic indie stuff yeah and we were talking about the way the Moog fits in and, you know, it, it is really, it's kind of, sounds expensive. You can't really get nasty sound, well, you can get easy sounds out of it, but not sort of cheap sounds. So it's, it's very distinct. And it's also, I think, very difficult to place it with acoustic in instruments um, in some ways. 
So I didn't have that problem because no. I was just uh, just working with it on its own. I mean, in some ways, I mean, you're kind of going back to the year dot with electronic music when there was only monophonic, multi-tracked kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. On the go. I really enjoyed it, and I'm really happy with the result and the and the way that I was able to make it sound organic and emotional and those were kind of two key words to it really because it, if I couldn't make it if it was going to sound electronic then it just it wasn't going to work because I didn't want to make an electronic album even though it is entirely electronic yeah and and it had to be organic and it had to be able to convey emotion and I'm really happy with it and the reviews I've got of all those are the two key words that people come up with so oh, well, that must be very satisfying really yeah, it is really. And terrifying, you know, just before that happens. I mean, because it's your first solo album for what, 40 years? Yeah, exactly. Years? I thought it was going to get hammered. I thought the press were going to slaughter it, really. But uh, they've been really kind. And it's it's brought out the most colourful words that I've read in reviews in a long time. Oh, that's good. I mean, because usually any, most most hacks just write any old derogatory stuff. I mean, it seems to be a lot of reviews are more about how rude and unpleasant can I be. Yeah, I know all about that coming from a band like The Cure. Yeah, well, pop music is a is a fickle and unpleasant <laughs> world, really, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. Um, the, the other side of that, it was really difficult to find a label that would um, go anywhere near it. Uh, sure. Because it's so difficult to uh, to place and... To that end, we, we uh, started our own label, and I had pretty much gone through with a limited edition release, and then I was talking to um, distributors in the US and found a, a brand new label uh, that had just started, um, and they, you know, they wanted to uh, release it, and they're like a Warner Brothers affiliate, so sure. it's, it's going to get a proper release. Oh, great. I mean, from what I've heard and what I've seen, I mean, the publicity has been really good. Um, they've done yeah. a good job on that. Yeah, you... well, actually, the, uh, the, the, all the reviews so far, I, I hired a PR company in New York when I was doing it myself with our own label. So all the press that's come out so far, I've got a feature in Keyboard Magazine next month. That's, oh. all, that's all our doing. So I'm just wondering what this label's going to do. Just thanks very much. We'll just cash in. Ka-ching. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But uh, they're, they're really good guys, and they're, they're a management group as well. They manage um, the Flaming Lips and Devendra Banhart. Oh, okay. They're a label group called called World's Fair, and they handle a lot of English labels. So, days. do you do you, do you see this maybe um, being used a lot in kind of synchronization and film stuff or TV? Fingers crossed. Sonicstate.com. I was just reading your um, biog over on the site, and I was, I didn't realise that you'd also been in the Thompson Twins. Yeah, uh, from 1983 to eight, the end of 84. Wow. How were the haircuts? Did you have uh, any any regrets? Uh, the haircuts. <laughs> I had uh, blonde hair with a ponytail and it was shaved on the side. Oh. Yeah, no regrets from the 80s. Absolutely none, really. No, well, it's it's kind of my era. I was going to ask you. I mean, I don't suppose you knew of any of the... Because they had some those classic bass sounds, you know, they're real, we are we are detectives. And I don't suppose you had anything to do with any of that. It was an Oberheim. It was an all Oberheim? Yeah, all Oberheim. Do you know which one? Uh, I think it was an OBXA. The drums were all done on a movement drum computer, which is from... They, used, they were made in Somerset. I, I remember those. Orange, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Boris used to. Boris was in the Thompson Twins, and he was was also in the Cure with me, the drummer, amazing drummer. He used to use the movement on stage for kick drum. Um, wow! What? Just play along with it? No, or he, trigger it. He triggered it. Yeah, he had a Simmons kit. 
Um, <clears throat> it was great fun. I mean, it was just pure electronic pop. It was incredible. It was and great. they were huge, weren't they? Massive in the States, yeah. So did you, you do all that kind of stadium touring life throughout yeah. the 80s? Yeah. Wow, how did you survive that? Uh, lots of drugs. <laughs> I mean, it must have been kind of amazing. I mean, particularly then, because of the, presumably the technology you were using back then was, you know, it was not, not really the mo most robust. I mean, did you have any sort of terrifying stadium moments when you well, went... Well, we had... Um, we just... I just got a Prophet 600, and that was the first keyboard with MIDI. And we th and I had a Prophet T8 as well, and the 600 was on top of the T8. And we thought it would... We midded them together. You know, we thought, oh, this is cool. And uh, then we thought it would be cool to have a, a foot switch to disconnect the MIDI. But because when you hit the foot switch, and if you're holding a cord, the note-off um, information hasn't been sent. So everything locks up. So you have to turn everything off. So that was a bit of a nightmare. But we learned as we went along. Right, so that was a feature of every night's um, particular <laughs> point in the set, was it? Yeah, exactly. Wow. And... Uh, Funny enough, I've become quite good friends with Dave Smith in the last uh, couple of years. The you know the guy behind Profit. He's a great guy, yeah. Yeah, and he like he invented MIDI, so we're always having these conversations where he's telling me about his kids who are kicking him for not having patented MIDI now that it's in every like domestic appliance and sure. everything you think of. But he's not bitter, and he's making great keyboards now. Those evolvers are incredible. Oh, they're beautiful, aren't they? Have you, yeah. have you had a chance? I mean, I saw that you got a, a special signed one. Have you tried any of the Polyevolver keyboards? Yeah, I, tried, I was at NAMM last January, and I tried the Poly, but I was really drawn to the mono keyboard, uh, because now I'm into mono, since I can't seem to play more than one note at the same <laughs> time. I've lost the ability. It's always the hold function. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things on the 600 I used to like was a latch um, function, where you, you play a chord and press the latch key, and then you just play one one note and it plays that chord all the way across and of course you get like weird uh, harmonic effects I really like that I love that keyboard it's actually that's the only one I haven't got in my studio it's at my I lent it to my nephew and, uh, when they, aren't they a little bit on the temperamental side the 600s the 600 I think it should be better because it's later and more right. stable I mean it's way more stable than the although it was before the T8 the T8 is a nightmare was I don't switch that on anymore. It's a beautiful-looking thing, but I imagine the lights dim when you do switch it on. <laughs> uh, the, th the thing that makes the lights dim the most is my memory mood. It just and the the fans inside it, the whirring is, and the whole thing vibrates. But I don't switch that on anymore either. Because I've been trying to find some interesting things to use live that are going to look a bit more, you know, creative on stage. Sure. That's why I got that Manon thing, and. Uh, there's a thing called a Harkin Continuum. Have yes, I'm, I've got a video of that. We, we recorded a video of that at NAMM a couple of years ago. And oh, there was cool. a guy yeah, who was really good at playing it, and it was just beautiful. So you're going to be touring this album? <clears throat> yeah, I'm starting a tour in October of the States. Uh, you kind of have to if you sign a record deal. Sure. And how are you going to do that then? Are you just going to have I'm a using load of people? Ableton Live. Ah, okay. So I'm going to build up loops live on stage and play, play over the, you know, build the song up as I did in the studio, pretty much. Uh, oh, that'll be great. It's a tech uh, dream, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have two Voyagers on stage and a power, and a power book and these little um, Ableton controllers that are made by a German guy, 
guy called Fader Fox. Yeah. Really, really good. Have you seen uh, the um, uh, Kenton ones as well? I've, yeah, I've got a control freak. But There's new Ableton ones from Kenton as well. They could look quite nice. Like they're in prototype. Are they? Hmm. You really should visit Sonic State more often, uh, Roger. There's a lot. I all definitely this, will now. All this news, you know, it comes pouring out every day. We've got tons of it, um, and quite often a lot of video. That we we actually video the prototypes of those when they showed up at the Sounds Expo um, earlier on in the year. And there's some uh, demos from a couple of the guys who are involved in the design of it, and it's really good actually. There's a, it's a very simple and very nice idea. Sonic State. What do you think of the new Moog Little Fatty? I mean, that looks right up your street as well. Uh, yeah, I was actually involved in the um, um, development of it. Oh, really? And uh, because I've become really good friends with everyone at Moog um, since I did the album and just getting to know them. If I just presented the uh, the <laughs> Moog Lifetime Achievement Award at the Moog at Moog Fest. I saw that Jan Hammer. Yeah, which was really cool, and he's such a nice guy. But anyway, in fact, I was shocked. When Jan Hammer's son told me that his his dad had sold his Fender Rhodes. No way. Yeah, and he actually had a polyphonic mini Moog, and none. Of it, it's all rusting in a garage somewhere. So oh, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah. Did you bring it up with him when you met him? No, I was talking uh, talking about Mark Vishnu, and you know, it was it was really cool because he's what he was one of my well he's one of my heroes. Um, the the little fact they came to me. They came to about five or six different musicians that they like really trust um, with the basic interpretation of what they had and said, you know, what do you think? What's it missing? And what, what should we put in it? And at that stage, it didn't have MIDI and it didn't have presets. And I was like, you're joking, aren't right. you? I said, most keyboard players I know can't even play. So without MIDI, they're not going to be able to use it, you know. And then I said, without presets, I can't use it live. So, and I think a lot of people will use it, will take it on the road. I'd really um, like the the kind of the kind of sectional control, you know, not like the, yeah, the like the like it's like a cross between a, a Voyager and a a Source, but it uses yeah, that parameter access really well. Yeah, it's really good, and also a great thing for live is that the the parameter knobs are live from where you touch them. So it's not like when you when you grab a Voyager filter knob and it's like really closed in the preset and yet it's like set three quarters open right. and you grab it and it goes bingo so with the fatty or the lp as i prefer to call it you know that that's that's a great thing about that so you seem like a kind of hardware guy i mean are there any kind of software synths that do um, it for you i tell you what I, we like in the studio the other day we were using bfd drums yeah they're pretty amazing Jesus Christ, they're incredible. I walked into the control room and I was like, uh, where did you get that from? Because uh, I thought it was real drums. Uh, I use, I also use, I use Logic now. I used to use Digital Performer for like about 20 years. And then I, I went to Cupertino and they indoctrinated me in a, in a behind closed doors into using Logic. And I really love it. And I love, I mean, the soft... Um, instruments in there are, are really handy. No, I agree. I mean, they, they're brilliant pieces of software design because you can just access what you need without getting buried in a whole load of stuff. Exactly. And sculpture. I mean, we actually used the harp sound the other day, and I, I, I actually think that the, the bass sound in there is really, really good. 
was like a contemporary fingered bass in sculpture. But it's just totally convincing. So, and <clears throat> I'm just getting over it. I'm getting over my anti synth thing. But I'm not, you know, I'm not going to buy a mini or a profit because I've got them all. <laughs> I'd rather. It's just something about walking up to an instrument makes yeah. you play it a different way. You also mentioned yeah, something cool. about a remix uh, idea. That uh, you're yeah, having. I've um, I, so far I've done five of the tracks as Garage Band projects. Yeah, you know, sort of um, compacted songs. They're all going to be available because I keep getting people asking me about doing remixes, and I'm very happy to make them all available because you know it's what's what? there to lose and there's a lot to gain. Exactly. And I'm all about sort of open source and. So we're going to do some remix competitions through the website, uh, through the um, label. When I was on tour in 2004, I would go into Apple stores and sort of write songs in GarageBand when I was like, you know, bo- when you're bored on tour. So I thought it'd be quite interesting if you kind of put your own song in there and left it as like a benevolent virus so other people come in and find these songs and do what they do with it and hopefully, you know, would be quite interesting. That's an interesting one. Well, Roger, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. It'd be great to do some stuff in the future as well. Yeah, I'm very happy to help out now that I know your site, and it's an excellent site, by the way. Thanks very much. So, there you go, that's Roger O'Donnell there, uh, currently promoting his album The Truth In Me, which was uh, recorded exclusively on the Moog Voyager. Um, it's well worth a listen, and it's very, as he said, it is actually very organic and emotional. Um, so, job well done. As ever, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, all you have to do is uh, use the Skype handle Sonic Talk and leave a message there. Or if you want to use the phone, our number in the US is 312-376-8089-001 outside the US, 312-376-8089. Or email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Just leave a message there. We'd love to hear from anybody um, and we'll be happy to play your comments on uh, future podcasts. So that's it for this week and thanks once again for listening. Sonic. States. Not home.